Hi, welcome to True Crime and a Spooky Old Time. This week's episode was originally planned to come out a little while ago. I was going to do it for Valentine's Day. It's going to be um, Couples Who Kill and it is going to be in a few parts. I hope you enjoy. So this episode is about Gerald Galago and Charlene Galago. I hope you enjoy. Charlene Adele Williams, um, near Sacramento, California. She was born October 10th, 1956. Um, her father, Charles, was a respected entrepreneur. He was actually the vice president of a supermarket chain. Um, he and his wife, Mercedes, often travelled as part of their business life, um, which is quite cool. Um, early school reports suggest Charlene was a quiet and shy child, um, even though she had good attendance at school. Um, but Charlene's mother was hurt really badly in a car accident. Um, so this then stopped the uh, her and the husband travelling. Um, but obviously with that, they, can, they couldn't travel. Uh, but then because of this, um, Charlene basically took over her mother's duties. Um, and so she would often travel with her father on business trips. Um, so it was there she was often praised by her father's clients for being um, an intelligent and well-spoken child. Um, but by high school, Charlene was taking drugs and bragged to friends about a black lover. Um, Charlene eventually married a young, wealthy man. However, um, he was a heroin addict, so not great. Um, and he claimed that Charlene was obsessed with uh, lesbian sex and begged him to have a threesome with her and a prostitute. Um, she was also using a large number of drugs and didn't care about her appearance, which, you know, is quite sad. Um, her first husband hated that Charlene's parents also intervened in their relationship. Um, so then the uh, the marriage subsequently failed and they, they ended up getting divorced. But Charlene's next husband was a soldier and Charlene described him as a mother's boy. She grew bored with him and they got divorced. Charlene then had an affair with a married man um, who soon ended the relationship after she asked if they could have, uh, oh, uh, uh, wow, okay, if they could have sex with his wife. Fair enough. After the breakup, she attempted suicide, um, but she survived. Um, and after this, uh, not long after this, that was when she met Gerald. Now, we're just going to go into Gerald's background. So, Gerald was born on July 17th, 1946. His mother and her numerous boyfriends had beat him during his form formative years. Ugh, that's really sad. Um, and when his mother became a prostitute, he was abused by some of her clients. Ugh, this is awful. Um... I, I'd written these notes, and you just—it's just really sad when this happens to um, well, to anyone, but especially children. Um, so yeah, sorry. So yeah, he was—he was often left hungry and dirty, and was always pleading to be held and hugged. Um, his natural father, who had played no part in his life, was um, executed for killing two policemen. Like Charlene, Gerald had failed as a lover and a spouse and he had married numerous women um, but left them after they ran out of money. And he also started sexually... Oh, gosh. he, oh, Sorry. He also started sexually abusing his daughter. 
Gerald liked rough sex and Charlene responded to this. At first, their sex life was so good that they couldn't get enough of each other. Gerald particularly enjoyed sodomizing Charlene. Um, however, she later said in court that she actually, um, she actually hated the painful experience. Um, I just want to say as well that Gerald Galago was actually only nine when his father died and four years later he was actually sent to a California youth correctional facility for committing a lewd and lascivious act on a six-year-old girl. A couple of years before this he had actually been in reform school for um, trying to steal a neighbour's TV and when she confronted him he did try to, uh, he did go for her with a knife so he was in reform school for that, but it didn't really seem to help. And he went back for this offence, um, but he did manage to convince people that he had got better, he was fine. And, um, you know, they did actually release him from there. And he hadn't really changed because then about a year later, when he was released, he was involved in a high-speed chase and a shootout with the with the police. Um and he was only 14 years old at this time. So I would like to talk about Mary Beth Sowers. Mary Beth fit all the adjectives of admiration or envy. Beautiful, bright, outgoing, ambitious, warm, sensitive, in love with the world around her and the man she planned to marry. Quote, she was somebody that had a lot of bubble and a lot of sparkle in the way she talked, said a close friend and fellow member of Alpha Chi Omega, the sorority that Sawyers joined in 1979. You got more than just words when she talked, they said. You got her feelings and her thoughts. Mary Beth gradu graduated from Sequoia High School in Redwood City in 1978. Her father was a nuclear physicist in Etel Corporation in Palo Alto. Following graduation, she moved to Redding, California to attend junior college. There she won the title of runner-up in the Miss Shasta County Contest. Um, Sawyers began her junior years at CSUS, majoring in finance. Despite a full course load, she worked during the week at Arco Financial Services and on weekends at JCPenney to support herself. Later, she worked as a ski instructor on weekends at Boreal Ridge, a ski area east of Sacramento. Her talents also included being an expert seamstress one weekend tailoring three suits. Mary Beth, sorry, Mary Beth began dating Craig Miller in late fall of 1979. Their, their relationship was described by friends as a relationship of equals. Noted one friend, quote, it's hard to find two people in the same relationship who are that much alike, so dynamic, outgoing and personable. Um, and I just want to say as well that a lot of this information I'm um, putting in here just now is from the book R. Barry Flowers, The Sex Slave Murders, The True Story of Serial Killers, Gerald and Charlene Gallego. Um, I will put the I will put that in the show notes as well. So Craig Miller graduated from La Sierra High School in 1976. Two years later he graduated from American River College before attending CSUS where he was on the Dean's list. Like Mary, he seemed tireless with the sky's the limit. 
Aside from being the current executive at Miller Advertising, Miller was vice president of the campus, cha- sorry, campus chapter of Sigma Phi Epsilon and the 1979 Man of the Year. When Mary Beth turned 21 on October 21st, 1980, her and Craig had been dating for nearly a year. Spring graduation was coming up um, and marriage plans did not seem premature. New Year's Eve 1981 seemed the perfect wedding for the couple because New Year's Eve was actually Mary Beth's favourite day. So on the night of Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity function, Craig and Mary Beth arrived late, favouring some quiet time together over the dinner that started three hours prior to their arrival. That didn't mean they weren't looking to make the most of their outing in the spirit of true fraternity and sorority members. From every indication, Miller and Mary were happy and content on this night. According to the dance attendee, Cheryl Arkin, neither shied away from attention. Um, she got, she'd barely gotten in the door and five of the Alpha Chi pledges were around her in a circle and she was just busy talking away. Nevertheless, Craig and Mary, sorry, Craig and Mary Beth's stay was relatively short. Um, so they left the carousel restaurant just after midnight and shortly after a fraternity brother happened by chance to notice them at the back of, sorry, in the back of an old uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass rather than Mary Beth's red Honda. After an exchange of words between the fraternity brother and the front seat occupant of the car, a woman was in the driver's seat with a man beside her. The Oldsmobile sped off with Craig and Mary Beth still in the back seat. And that was the last time they were ever seen alive. So unfortunately, that afternoon, Craig Miller's body was discovered alongside a gravel road, which was 20 miles from Placerville near Bass Lake in El Dorado County in California. They had found that he'd been shot three times at point-blank range. They performed an autopsy the following day um, and it did reveal that Miller had been shot once above the right ear, once in the back of the neck and once at the right cheekbone, um, apparently at that site. But at this time, um, Mary Beth was still missing. So what had happened was... After driving around um, El Dorado County for a while, Gerald ordered um, Charlene to stop the car. He made Craig get out of the vehicle, at which point he fired three shots into his head, as I mentioned earlier. They left him there. They just left him there um, and returned to Gerald's apartment. This is where he hauled Mary Beth into his bedroom and proceeded to rape her multiple times. The whole time, Charlene just sat in the living room, just watching television until he was done. Then she drove them both out to the country again. After he shot Mary, the couple returned to his place to get rid of the evidence. Now, I just want to say as well, this isn't actually the first, um, this wasn't the first murder. Um, this is just the one that I have decided to put here first, but I just wanted to mention it wasn't the first one. I'm not going into full detail on the other, uh, the others, because I do want to go on to mention a different couple as well. But I will say that the other ones that I, that I could find information on were 17-year-old Rhonda Scheffler and 16-year-old Kippy Vaught. Um, they were just going shopping and having some fun. Charlene looked like she was around their age, so she came up to them and asked if they'd like to smoke some weed with her. They didn't think anything of it. 
followed her into the parking lot to the van where Gerald was waiting with a .25 caliber pistol. They were taken off guard, so the couple subdued them. He secured their hands and feet with some tape and told her to keep an eye on them while he drove away. He went on east on I-80 sorry, towards the Sierra Nevada mountains until he reached Baxter, California. That's when they got off the interstate and Gerald drove them deeper into the foothills. When he found an ideal location, he left them there. Uh, sorry, he left with the girls, the gun and a sleeping bag and told Charlene to wait for him there. Charlene did what she was told. When he returned several hours later, he ordered her to take the van and go into Sacramento to visit some friends. Gerald wanted to establish an alibi. When she came back, she was told to drive, uh, sorry, she was to drive their Oldsmobile and not the van. Charlene again did precisely what Gerald told her to, and when she got back to that wooded area, he told the girls to get in the back seat. He would ride, he would ride with them there as he gave Charlene directions on where to drive. All the while, Gerald was talking as if he had planned on letting the girls go. Of course he didn't. Um, however, when he finally told Charlene to stop the car, he forced the girls to get out. He hit them over the head with a tyre iron and then shot and killed them both. Um, so the couple basically decided after the murder would be a good time for them to go and get married, um, of course. So this is um, this is wild, to be fair, because her parents actually didn't want her to be associated with the name Gallego, so they decided to help out. They told us to take her cousin's birth certificate and have him use that to get identification under an assumed name. Um, the name would be Stephen Robert Fail. Charlene's father even pulled some strings to get Gerald a job driving a truck for a Houston grocery store. However, selling into uh, settling into an active job was not on the cards for him. He quickly lost interest and they ended up in Reno the following spring anyhow. After they were married, things seemed somewhat normal. Gerald managed to get a job, um, sorry, get and hold a job as a driver for a meat distributor. Charlene got a job working in the office of another distributor. However, by June, that normalcy was over. He left his position and with so much free time, he could come up with a new plan. He still wanted sex slaves. He decided the best place to find the slaves would be at the Washoe County Fair. Almost out of the fair and heading on their way home were 14-year-old Brenda Judd and 13-year-old Sandra Coley. Charlene stopped them and asked if, sorry, asked them if they wanted to make a few extra dollars helping her distribute ad flyers in the parking lot. Who doesn't want to make some extra cash, right? And they did need some spare cash. So they agreed to help her. She told them she had to stop by her van first to grab more. The three girls made their way to the vehicle with Gerald not far behind. He pulled his gun on them, taped them up and again headed for I-80, making a quick making a quick stop to pick up a hammer and shovel on the way. Again, he drove east on the I-80 and ended up in the foothills near the Mustang Ranch in Nevada. Once they were well on their way, he made Charlene drive so that he could begin assaulting the girls in the back. This time he was more controlled and he took his time, all while Charlene kept driving further into the hills of Nevada. Gerald eventually retook control of the wheel, telling Charlene she was driving way too fast. 
once he found a secluded place to pull off the road and stop the car. He led each of the two captives away separately, where he used his brand new tools to murder and then bury them. Charlene dutifully cleaned out the van the following day when they made it back to Reno and they both paid attention to the news reports. Brenda and Sandra had both been reported missing. However, there seemed to be some sort of confusion with the media. News reports confused Brenda and Sandra with another couple of girls, girls who actually chose to run away and join the carnival that ran the rides at the fair. However, even after that confusion was cleared up, nothing much came out of their disappearance and within a couple of months, the couple felt it was safe to leave Reno and go back to San Clemente. After Gerald and Charlene returned to San Clemente, things settled down for a little bit. He found someone else to intrigue him sexually. That didn't bother her because he could be so demanding sexually. Gerald also tended to get quite frustrated when he couldn't perform while having regular intercourse. The novelty of a new female in his bed soon gave way to boredom, which led to more excitement. That's when he told Charlene they needed more love slaves. Why he suddenly started calling them love slaves when he called them sex slave is a little bit, well, it's strange. It's not like he could make it sound more dignified or be less horrific for his victims. On April 24th, 1980, they went to the parking lot of Tower Records in Sacramento to hunt for their next victims. When they noticed the area had quite a few police officers around, they drove over Sunrise Mall in Citrus Heights outside of Sacramento. They figured that would be a better place since they found their first couple of victims at a mall. The two girls were Stacyanna Redican and Karen Twiggs. They were 17 Charlene approached them, offering them a free ride to where they needed to go and drugs as well. So they did go in the car with her. When Gerald showed him, showed them his 0.3, 0.357 Magnum and told Charlene to drive, they seemed curious instead of scared. It's almost as if they thought it was a game. In her statements later, Charlene quickly figured out that he wasn't playing and they were in grave danger. Once again, they headed east on I-80 while Gerald got in the back and repeatedly raped the girls. While he raped them, he continued to shout direction, sorry, shout driving directions to Charlene and they ended up at Limerick Canyon near Lovelock. Like last time, Gerald took each girl away separately and killed them using the hammer. However, this time, Charlene made sure he didn't keep the weapon since she threw it out their window on their way back to Sacramento. Now, Charlene had had an abortion when she was pregnant the year before, and she once again realised she was pregnant. She was afraid to tell Gerald because she didn't know how he would react. She did let him know finally, and she was shocked that he actually seemed to be thrilled with the idea. He um, Apparently, the idea of him being able to create life filled him with filled him with ego uh, sorry fed, sorry fed his growing ego and Gerald even took this opportunity to marry Charlene again using his fail alias um, he felt that a new marriage using his new identity to start a new family would be a way for him to shed his old identity and he actually seemed to be more relaxed um, but this seemed to make him careless and I am actually going to leave it there um, for this week. So I'll be returning next week with the rest of this um, story. And also next week we'll be touching upon another 
couples who kill. Um, so I'm not sure how many parts this is going to be, but we'll find out. We'll see what happens because I definitely want to do some more couples who kill. I find it quite interesting and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening.